0: We're beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 43 this morning. We're going to look at chapters 43 and 44 in the narrative of Joseph and his brothers. This is part two uh, from last week. And uh, just before we uh, begin and read any scripture, I'll go ahead and, and pray and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this morning to be able to be in your house with your people, to open our Bibles this morning that we would learn from you and learn about you, and how we are to love you, and to obey you, and glorify you. Lord, we pray that uh, you would teach us this morning the beauty of the gospel, that we would see and behold the Lord Jesus in it, and his goodness for us. Lord, we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would understand what we hear, and that we would know how to wisely apply it to our lives. Lord, we thank you for being with us. You promised to to be with your people, and we pray, Lord, that we would have a sense of your presence today in uh, this hour and also in our worship service, and Lord, I pray that you would bless um, our little ones and their teachers now too as they learn, and our young people. Lord, we, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of families. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are uh, continuing this, this morning where we left off last week. This is part two of a family uh, full of dysfunction that is led by uh, Almighty God through some severe mercies to confront not only their sinfulness, uh, but also uh, the ways in which they, they do not honor Him and do not love Him. And just want to remind you that God uses sometimes ordinary means to accomplish His supernatural and eternal agenda. And He even does this in families. Uh, Jacob is confronted in, in these chapters with how he favored some of his sons over other ones. Uh, how he favored one wife over another. The brothers are uh, confronted with their hunger and the chance circumstances in being forced to deal with their sin. Uh, They seem to have been uh, maybe partially honest, but kind of still hiding behind a ruse and wanting to keep things at arm's length. Uh, Joseph is confronted with some pain that he has been carrying with him uh, in the narrative story for uh, quite a long time. And I wonder if, as we read through this today, we see that Joseph hadn't truly dealt with some of the the hurt and the pain and the anger and the frustration and really the longing that he had for his family. Um, He left his family when he was a young man, and uh, he, in this story, is reunited not only with his brothers who betrayed him, but he's united with his dad and his younger brother. And he sees the rest of his family in in the chapters remaining in the book of Genesis. Uh, So we've got to ask ourselves some questions. uh, Because remember, this is not uh, a story to find someone that you would call a hero that you would say, well, I want to be like that person. Or to find a villain and say, this is somebody that I I need to hate. Uh, These are stories about real people. And um, you can even see how your heart may ebb and flow in this story. Um, as you as you go through it. Do I recognize the ways. My heavenly father pursues me. For my own good. Even if it's painful. Our heavenly father does pursue us. And he does even in the midst of our pains. Are there areas of my life. That I have refused. To surrender to the Lord. Um, to give him. Because I'm afraid of past failure. Or regret. Or pain. Or even sin. And lastly. Am I willing as the one who has been offended, been offended to extend grace. and Think of Jesus' word, 70 times 7. When I'm the one who was sinned against. It is very easy and understandable that as we see uh, people's story in the Bible that we would think, well, <coughs> wow, they've been holding on that onto that for a long time. And then when they have the chance, they, they let all of the built up, pent up anger and wrath come out all at once. Um, So these are some questions to ask ourselves and to see in this narrative story. Uh, We're going to see the brothers leaving Canaan, and they actually do leave with Benjamin. They head for Egypt to go see Joseph, who they don't know is the governor over all of Egypt, the one who's responsible for all the food. We see them have a meal with Joseph. They have dinner with him. And uh, the interactions that take place there, what seemingly is a miraculous table setting, Uh, for where everybody sits around the table. And lastly, Joseph's final test of his brothers, uh, as he sees whether or not grace has gripped their hearts, have they really dealt with their sin? Are they willing to be honest and open and deal with who they are and what their family has become because of some of their actions? So uh, let's begin reading Genesis 43, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 14. This is Genesis 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go, go back and buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me, as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, and we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the situation is no different in terms of food. Uh, Jacob didn't know that the famine would last as long as it has, but it did. And they burned through, ate, consumed the food that all the brothers came back with. And they have the money still that they found in their sacks that they weren't um, sure how it got there because nobody's saying they stole anything but here they are. this famine is is continuing. they're there with their dad and for whatever reason they didn't bring it up again at dinner each night or he didn't ask any more questions so they didn't say anything. Isn't it interesting how in times of desperate need when when a particular need is met, even though there's something looming, or an issue that's going on that hasn't been addressed, it is easy for that to loom and to come to the forefront once some emergency happens. And that's where they are. That They don't have any more food. He said, go and take care of us. And it's interesting in the family dynamics here. Uh, remember, these are not teenage boys that he's sending to Egypt. These are grown men with their own families. And they are... are listening to what Jacob is saying. They go when he says go. They don't when he says not to. And so they're having a significant struggle here. Jacob's instructions and his complaint um, are very evident in verses 3 through 10. He's upset with them. Why did you have to tell them? Why did you treat me this way? To tell them things that they didn't ask. And he's really ignoring the explanation they gave. He told them, um, or they told him, about what had taken place in Egypt and how this this governor spoke very harshly. And Jacob just wants to send him off. I don't know if he's ignoring it. I don't think you could say it was him being senile Uh, because he's older. He just said, go, just like you did last time. Come back and bring food. And, you know, it's interesting. We don't hear anything about the brother who's still in prison. He's been there the entire time. So the whole journey back, he's there in prison. And this whole time they've been there back in the land of Canaan with their families. And his, conceivably his wife and his children don't know where dad is. And we don't hear anything of the dialogue of what's going on with him rotting in prison. It's very, very interesting family dynamics that are happening here in some of the absence of what you hear. Judah speaks up seemingly uh, as a leader. And he says, dad, we're not going to be able to do this. Because that man was clear. He was very firm. He said, if we don't come back with Benjamin, we don't get to see him. And if we don't see him, we don't get food. This man is the one in charge of everything. Pharaoh has made him the second in command. So we're not going to be able to walk into his house and demand terms. He's already told us. Jacob complains again. You just overshare Judah. You guys said things you shouldn't have said. And Judah responds again and he pleads, Dad, would you please let Benjamin go with us? And put the blame on me. Not on the other brothers. Put the blame on me if anything happens. I'll be responsible forever. So in verses 11 to 14, Jacob sends them off. Well, if it's got to be this way, it's got to be this way. And if you're going to go, you might as well take some presents and take double the money. Because you had money that you took. You found it in the sack. You're saying you don't know how it got there. And also take some money to, to buy some food. So as I counted it, they've got three portions of the same amount of money they went with last time, right? Because they've got the money that they took, plus the second portion that they found in the sacks, and then money to buy more. So they're going um, pretty loaded down with money and presents and gifts, and this would be a safety concern, I would think. In the midst of a famine, there are people who are desperate. And so there's faith happening here even in the midst of this journey. Even though it might be hard to find and you might have to dig a little bit, there is faith here that there might be uh, some provision. But it is interesting to me, except for in a, in a kind of a shivering, um, bent-down posture, you don't hear a lot about the Lord in these parts of the story that maybe this is what God is doing to us or this is what He has for us. You don't hear a whole lot of it. So Jacob sends them. He says, take a a gift, double the money, take uh, Benjamin, and maybe when you get there, your other brother and Benjamin will be able to come back. He doesn't even name him. Does anybody remember who it is that's in prison? Simeon. Simeon's sitting in prison, has been there since they left the last time. And he says with blessing and resolution in his heart if i'm bereaved of my children i'm bereaved and this reminded me of uh, the words that were that were said in the book of esther right before she goes in to see the king which was not allowed it was illegal and she said if i perish i perish it's the lord's will and i don't know if that's what jacob is saying here but it seems like he's saying if this is what's going to happen this is what's going to happen. I'm, going to, I'm sending you. I'm trusting you to go. He's an older dad at this time. Um, making this trip would not be something he would do likely at all. He would, he would send them. Here Jacob is, is forced. He is seeing it again. It is put in front of him in a different scenario. Look at the favoritism in your heart, Jacob. Look at how you're treating your sons. He's got to trust the Lord that Benjamin will come home. Because if something happens, if there's a slip up, if somebody messes up, he could not see Benjamin ever again, like Joseph, who's gone. And Judah seemingly steps up as a leader. He has compassion uh, on his little brother, which we didn't see previously, years and years before. And it seems like the Lord has really worked on his heart a lot. And we'll see more in the story how how his heart has changed. So let's read... Uh, Pick back up where we left off. Genesis 43, we're going to start in verse 15. We're just going through this narrative. So the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double the money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt. And they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon." Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir. We indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks, but he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feed, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread with, with him there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked in astonishment at one another then he took servings to them from before him but benjamin's servings was five times as much as theirs so they drank and were merry with him so in verses 18 to 25 as we're reading and we're we're going to get through chapter 44 today as well There's a a quick accounting of what's happened in the past. I think they are absolutely afraid going in the door. These brothers have been hiding secrets from their family for years. And now that something happens that they can't explain, they want a quick accounting. We need this wrapped up before we step in this man's house. And it's ironic and interesting that they're so concerned to be sure to be found out truthful in Joseph's sight as the governor, who they don't know is their brother. They're so interested in being found out to be truthful there, but have been willing to live a lie with their dad for over twenty years. Isn't that interesting that they the the imbalance in their hearts? What will this Egyptian do? And they immediately approach the steward. You can just imagine him running up the steps and could we speak with you for a moment? We're introduced to this steward, and he's apparently very powerful in Joseph's house. And they immediately want to settle up. I don't know what happened, we're not sure what happened, but we had this money, it was the same weight as what we brought, and we brought it back, and we're not spies, we just want you to know. Uh, we know what's at stake here, we came here to buy food for our family, so that we don't die. And the steward speaks words, uh, you know Joseph, and obviously God is working in all of this. He says, peace be to you, don't be afraid, I received your money, I've had it since you left. And you just sit there and wonder and scratch your heads. Well, okay, we brought it up. Um, He didn't want our money. We came here to buy food. We haven't been able to buy any yet. And so, okay, well, we'll, we're going to go to lunch. All right. And Joseph interacts with them now. They're in his house. He's apparently been doing important business of Egyptian state. They are getting the present ready. And they obey Jacob's instructions. The first thing they do when they see Joseph. And I just want to point out, what did they do when they saw Joseph? They gave the gift, but then it says that something else happened. Anybody remember? It says that they put their face on the earth. They bowed down before their brother. And remember, we talked about when we were looking at his dreams that he shared with his brothers, that it happened twice to confirm that this was a vision that God in heaven was giving and not something that he had dreamed up himself. It happened two times. And so here are the brothers, the second time, bowing down in front of Joseph, their, their younger brother. And they still don't know that it's him. And he draws them out. He's asking them questions about their father and about Benjamin, his mother's son. Who was, who was Joseph and Benjamin's mother? Rachel. Rachel. And you wonder, who in all of Egypt would he have been able to talk to about this in all this time? And here, this brother whom he loves, the, the one connection he has to his mother there in front of him. And you can just see in the story, he is overcome with emotion. He's overwhelmed. He goes to his chamber and he weeps. He's not forgotten his family. He's not forgotten the love that he enjoyed with his little brother and his mom and his dad. And he hasn't forgotten everything that happened between he and his brothers. And maybe even some remorse over some of the arrogance in his own heart. Um, he didn't exactly try to hide his dreams. He told them in front of the whole family. You all are going to bow down before me. And so he's, he's had to do some learning too over these years. And he sets a feast before his brothers. And notice how they sit. So Joseph has his own table. The brothers have their own table. And then the Egyptians who were going to eat with them have their own Because it was an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with the Hebrews. So they all, this is a very ornate meal. This is a big deal. Joseph is there sitting by himself. He shares food with all of them. And he has this special cup of divination that we'll talk about in just a moment. It's there at the meal. This is his cup. He wouldn't have shared it. It was his own. And the brothers are sitting there in amazement. How in the world did he do this? What is going on? We came here to buy, we haven't been able to get rid of any money, we went back with food, we're sitting here in order by our birth, our little brother is here, and look at how much Benjamin got. And when you think about this meal, and I know that some of you grandmothers or mothers, when you have growing boys, you put plenty on the plate, right? And can you imagine doing five times more for one than you do for all the others? And you kind of wonder what these brothers thought. Now it says they ate and they were happy. And certainly they wouldn't have questioned Joseph at all for doing it. But I do wonder if this was a test. What are they going to do this time when somebody seems to be favored more than them? And it's obvious. I mean, five more portions on the plate is plenty. It it, it was not a mistake. They were supposed to see it. But it's a small test. How does your heart deal with... Things not being the same and equal for everybody. Not everything in life is equal and fair. Not everybody gets the same. He wants to He wants to know, where's your heart? So the brothers confess as they come in the door. They're talking to the steward at the step. They confess not knowing about the money they're faced with at this meal. Um, treatment that's not equitable between everybody. And here's Joseph reunited with his family. And it says that the steward brought Simeon out. And seemingly he's not in shambles. He's not not emaciated after not having eaten very much the whole time. He's sitting there with the brothers, dignified, probably cleaned up, and sitting there enjoying the feast that's before them. And this is in the midst of famine. Don't forget that. This is an extravagant meal when everybody else is coming to Egypt to buy food and they're having this extraordinary meal. Why in the world would he do this? What is about to happen? And this narrative is to point us, to, to force us to see that God is providing for his children. He is preserving a nation of people um, in, in this story. That's what's happening. This isn't just about Joseph and his brothers or being hurt or angry or having to deal with personal sin. All of this is happening as God is weaving a story. And we know what happens in the book of Exodus, right? They're in the land of Egypt and they're they're not there anymore willingly and they're not there being treated well either the first part of the book of genesis it, exodus it says a new king arose in egypt who did not know joseph or his family and the israelites are poorly treated horribly treated they're they're mean to them and all of this is is happening to build up that story so that we see moses being born and what happens when the children of Israel are delivered from this land of oppression. But let's get into Joseph's story in chapter 44. We're going to see Joseph's final test of his brothers, and really see how their heart has truly been gripped, and they have to come to terms with who they are. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to the steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in doing so. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and led off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. So it is uh, pretty clear that this was all a test from Joseph to see what's going to happen. How are they going to respond? The cup of divination, we know... Joseph didn't need a cup. The Lord showed him things that only the Lord could reveal to someone. He didn't need a cup. This was all part of the test that he had put together. And the steward follows Joseph's orders. He confronts them along the way. And they seemingly, in their hearts, innocent. We didn't do this. Whoever you find it from, let that person be killed. And the rest of us will be your slaves forever. And it's interesting. They're, they're, they're ready to, to put it on the line and almost seems a little bit of hasty words because the last time something was found, they didn't know how it happened. But they seem to be so clear, so confident. We're we're not in the wrong here. You're not going to find it in, in ours. And so everybody, they undo the burdens on the donkeys, the sacks that are full to the brim hit the ground, and they find the cup and the money in who else but Benjamin's. And if you're the brothers, you've got to be... It says they tore their clothes. They would have thrown dirt in their hair. I mean, they are, they are a wreck. And what does Judas say? What does Judas say? He, it's the first time, it seems, that God is, is really, truly getting glory and really, truly being shown to be the one who's ordering the events that are happening in this family. He says, how shall we clear ourselves? What do we need to say to you? How do you want us to say it? God is the one who found us out. He found out the iniquity of your servants, and here we are. We're your slaves. But he's not yet named it. He hasn't yet said what it is. He said, the Lord knows my sins. He knows our sins. And here we are. This is how he's decided to do it. He's going to deal with us now. After all these years, we we don't get a chance to go back home. We know we're going to be here. But what's waiting at home? He tells them, oh, I'm not going to keep all of you as slaves. I'm just going to keep the one who did it. You go go back home in peace. And there's a bit of irony here. You were able to go back home the last time, brothers. What should be different about this one? You can go home and, and... tell dad a lie and keep that lie going for all these years and you grow your families and you get married and you enjoy life and you left me to rot in that hole what would be wrong with you going home to enjoy peace now what's different and what is different they know where Jacob is they know what's going to happen and they know now that God is not going to allow their sin to go without being answered for so he's He is confronting them through Joseph's test, starting in in verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man. And a child of his old age who is young, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, My father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is, is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife... It's interesting that he says, my wife. My wife bore me two sons, and the only one went out from me. Speaking about Joseph. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces... And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up with the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Here he gives Judah gives a full confession. A full confession. He he goes into the whole story about what took place. Now he doesn't mention Joseph's name, but here he is giving glory to God and wanting to tell the truth. He can't hold on to it anymore. It's eating him up inside. He still doesn't mention Joseph's name. It's interesting. Not even Jacob said Joseph's name. But isn't it also something that Judah would remember? About my wife. How many wives did Jacob have? He's talking about Rachel. But he had another wife. Leah. Who he didn't want. The, un, the unlovely one. He also had uh, maidservants that were given from Laban. He's, he has children by more than just Rachel. But it's interesting that he, when he told the sons. And Judah is telling Joseph. My dad said this about his wife. It's in his heart. I can't go back home. If I don't come with the one he loves, if I'm don't, if i not able to do this, if I can't come through on my word, I'm done in my family. I can't go back there. You don't understand, sir. It's not possible. My dad will die and the blame will be on me forever. He's confronted, and all of these brothers, they are confronted with who they are and what they've done in their lives, what they've covered up. And you hear in his plea, Lord, please do this. He's asking of Joseph. Please do this. Let me stay. But please let that boy go home. I can't bear it. I can't look at my dad's face with disappointment after another son that we didn't bring home. He has compassion for his dad. You should see that. He's not just not wanting to deal with the consequences. I think his heart has been broken over what he did. He has compassion for his dad. That they didn't have. No one demonstrated this when Joseph was thrown away. He's tormented over his sin. And he willingly throws himself before Joseph as a servant in Benjamin's place. And he's finally willing to admit, I have to pay for what I have done. These are my sins. I did it. I can't blame anybody else. I had full participation in it. Would you please let me take Benjamin's place? I'd rather die here in prison with you than go home and see dad again like this i can't bring myself to tell him if you keep him and so we won't read the rest of genesis but the rest of genesis is the story of how joseph and his brothers are reunited because right after this he can't bear it any longer he sees his brother benjamin he sees these brothers who betrayed him and he breaks down he sends everybody out of the room all the Egyptians, get out! All the servants, all the, the people who ate the meal with him, please leave. We want the room. And I'm sure the brothers are shaking on the on the floor. Literally, he's going to kill us all because of what's taken place. And he tells them in verse two of chapter forty, verse three of chapter forty-five. After he wept aloud, and it says the Egyptians in the house heard it. He said, "I am Joseph." Does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they did. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all the house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I don't know how he got all that out, honestly. But I do see in, in him a ray of hope in this family because he immediately, at the moment when he could have exacted punishment, and it was within his hands to do it, they had no right to know who he was. And humanly speaking, he could have killed them all, and it would have been nothing. It wouldn't have hit the news in Egypt. Pharaoh wouldn't have known about it. There wouldn't have been a reason. He has all the authority in his hand, and he doesn't do it. Whoa. I read, I read this again last night just thinking, what, what kind of restraint exists in the heart of a person to not exact judgment when they could? And he would have been okay to do it. No one would have stopped him. The Lord would have known, but no one else knew who these men were that he's having this extravagant meal with. But he says three times, it wasn't you, it was God. You sold me, but God is the one who sent me here. And I, I want to ask you, in the midst of, of difficulty, in the midst of pain, or years of hardship, this wasn't here one week and able to go back home the next. This was a half of a lifetime for him that he spent away from his family. And he's had time to think about it, his sin and their sin and missing his dad. I just want to ask you, how does your heart deal with difficulty and hardship over the long term? Does it scab over and harden over and you keep people away from it, but do you keep the Lord away from it? Because he, in the midst and in the face of of evil, is able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's what he says at the end of the book of Genesis after Jacob is dead and they've buried him. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to preserve life for our entire family. That, that is an amazing... Change of God's grace in someone's heart. We don't say that on our own. He doesn't speak those words unless God the Holy Spirit has melted his heart of pride and sin and hatred and anger and pain. The Lord dealt with his pain through all those years and he's helping to heal Joseph's heart here. Some of us may never get that kind of satisfaction in this life. We may carry some of those things into glory. And what is this a a picture of for us? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus and the work that he does for us. The work that we could not do ourselves, that we could not take credit for. He takes what is painful and difficult. And what does he do? He does not lay it on someone else. He takes it on his own shoulders. He takes the pain in his own heart. He's the one that separated from his father. He's the one that cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. We think about difficulty and pain and suffering and struggling and strife and anger. And just conflict in our families. And we think, Lord, why did you put me in this family? Why am I here? Why are these people here? Why does it have to be so hard day in and day out? And here is a a, a beautiful picture of God's grace in a family. He changed them. These brothers were forever changed. They learned the hard way that that grace does do what the Lord will accomplish with it. He will deal with our sins. But he doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. They enjoyed luxury in the land of Goshen. They went home and they had to walk in the door. Can you imagine telling that story? Otherwise, Jacob's not picking up anything. We're not going anywhere. I don't know where you guys went and what sort of strong spirits you were drinking while you were there, but we're not leaving the land of promise. And they have to say, Dad, I've got to tell you the truth. We hated him. And we sold him. And we've been lying to you. This whole time, and now God has done this. Family pains, hard pain. Family lies hurt deep, and the gospel works in those pains. God changes our hearts. He changes other people, even if we don't want to believe it or admit it. He changes other people's hearts. He melts hearts of stone. He changes who who we are. And so, as you read and finish the book of Genesis, the whole entire company of people, Jacob, with all of his family, it says that he went with 70 people to the land of Goshen. And that he, Jacob, this Israelite, this Hebrew man, this one who wasn't supposed to associate with others who were foreigners, he gets introduced to Pharaoh, the high king over the world at the time. And he sits down with his son, Joseph. His Joseph. (coughs) And Pharaoh asks him, Sir, how old are you? And he tells him how old he is. And it's interesting that he said, he answers in chapter 47, The days of my years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. This is Genesis 47, verse 9. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers. In the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from him. Here Jacob is is talking about his sins to the king of Egypt. And he's having to be honest. You know what? I deserve everything that came to me because of what I did to my own family. I fractured my family. I, I deceived my own dad. I stole my brother's birthright. God continued to bless me. He appeared to me on on the way as I went to see my uncle Laban. I worked seven years for a wife, and when the day that I married her, the day that I married her, my day. I, I woke up and it was a different woman in my bed and I worked for seven more years. And I have these sons and you know one of them. And he served you with honor before the God of the true God of Israel. The one who created the heavens and the earth. There was a reason this testimony was to be given. I believe the Lord was working in Jacob's life too. He was working on his heart to see on display in his family... Not only sin, but the glory of God and how he can change a person. And what happened as we go through the end of Genesis, what happened? They dwell in the land of Goshen. They, they say, we're shepherds. We feed animals and livestock. We take care of them. This is what we've always done. This is what our family does. So Pharaoh says, Joseph, that, if that's where you want to have them, then let them have the best of the land in the land of Goshen. And they go there and they stay there. And they grow and multiply. Their families grow And at the very end of the book, right before Jacob dies, he gets in his bed, he blesses his sons, and he says he he says to Joseph, He said, I had hoped one day to see your face, and I get to put my hands on the heads of your two boys. And he blesses them. He sees that God is faithful, he does more than we could believe or imagine. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. God is not against you, dear child of God. He cares for you and loves you. And he is faithful to his everlasting covenant to you. And even even in sin, he is faithful to you. Believe that. It's true. It isn't just the people who are holy that never sin, who see the goodness of God. He is faithful even when we are not. And in those moments when you say, I am the farthest from the Lord that I have ever been, he is not far. He is there with you. Because he loves you. And he is weaving a story that today does not make sense. Maybe. But he is weaving a story that ultimately will bring glory to him and will be for your good. And he does that in, in the book of Genesis. That's why the Old Testament was written. It says these stories were written so that we would have an example. So that we would know this is the living God to whom we pray. He is faithful to his covenants. He does take care of families. And he will preserve his church. And bring glory to his son. Would anybody uh, like to share anything or um, have the last word before we pray this morning? Well, I'll pray for us. Father, I thank you for being able to open your word this morning. uh, To be able to see uh, beauty come from ashes. And truth to come after so many years lord i pray that you would you would help us uh, to see in this story hope hope for our families hope for us sinful people who want to see you work in our lives and we can't seem to get out of our own way lord i pray that you would awaken in our hearts faith that we would believe that the god who orchestrated the events in genesis is the one who is working and who sits on a throne today. Lord, we thank you for the gift that our families are. And we pray that you would give us grace and hope and faith to believe that you are working in our family, just like you were in Jacob's. Help us, Lord, to be honest. Help us to deal ruthlessly with our sin before you and before others. And Lord, I pray that you would make Lebanon a a strong, faithful church as you have for many years. That we would love one another well in the gospel. And that we would share this love with others. In Jesus' name, amen.